0: It's Arjun, Head of Research and Director at Investikit, and we're back for another episode of the Investikit podcast. Today, I've got John here with me from the C2 Financial Group, and we're diving deeper into the world of self-managed super funds. Self-managed super funds were a very interesting topic that we'd done an episode on a few episodes ago, and uh, the team here got inundated with inquiries around self-managed super funds set up, setting up actually to start buying in them or actually, even just considering if their current ones appropriately being managed. Now, this made me realise that we should go deeper into this because a few questions came out from it. So I thought, hey, why not get John on from C2 Financial Group, who's had over 1,500 plus self-managed super fund. I guess set up management, maintenance, experience levels. So this is this is just huge and almost second to none. So when it comes up to this space, there is no person better than actually having John here with me to go through all the insights of common mistakes, what some of his best clients do in terms of the ones that have performed the best and even the opposite, the ones that haven't gone so well, as well as diving into some different swim lanes, things around commercial business owners and how they can look at managing funds, and even considering some of the facts around insurances within your self-managed super funds. So we try and make the the complexity of SMSF come down a little bit. John is a very technical person and someone who's an expert in the self-managed super fund space, so I'm confident you'll get tremendous value. Now, before you jump into this episode, If the idea of setting up a self-managed super fund has come up or actually looking at your self-managed super fund that you've already got set up to start investing in property, reach out to us, Arjun at investikit.com.au is my email, or you can jump on our website to book in a time if you want to avoid the back and forth on email, and that's investikit.com.au. We can have the team connect with yourself to be able to have that initial discussion around property investing. In terms of self-managed super fund, the sweet spot, in my opinion, is anywhere between 150 upwards in balance. Uh, The closer you get to 200, the more, I guess, buffer you can have. At a minimum, that 150 and going higher from there to be able to start to diversify some funds nicely. I hope that helps. And uh, if you'd like to have a chat, reach out and you'll get a lot of value here because we'll introduce you to John as well to have a chat about setting up or management of your SMSF and you're in the right hands. Thanks and tune in. John, thank you again for joining us on the show, mate. And I know you and your business partner, they coming from a deep, I guess, investment background in equities as as well as corporate tax. But more importantly, with more than 1,500 plus self-managed super funds under your belt from an admin side in the past, and I'm sure even growing now, how has this helped you too in the journey that you've been on in creating a difference for customers through self-managed super fund, but also, I guess, your familiarity and experience with this all?
1: Well, we started... In my brother and I, Marcel, who started C2 together, we started in equities and stockbroking in the mid 2000s. And back then, SMSFs were they'd been around, but um, they were in their infancy for the mass population. And really, what led us into self managed super funds was clients of ours wanting to use their super to trade in equities. That was predominantly the major main driver behind the demand for SMSFs um, back then because you couldn't. Now, nowadays you can you know a lot of the big apra regulated funds you can you can trade equities directly if you want to so you don't need an smsf just for that particular reason but what we saw in 2012 is when the you know the ato released some rulings around borrowing in super and that's when we saw the, the opportunity there. At that point, we had a lot of clients coming to us wanting to buy property in super. So we really swiveled and moved our business to focus more on the SMSF administration side and, and kind of gave away the, the stockbroking and the equities trading and moved to specialise predominantly in, in property in super and also in SMSF administration for, for advisors and, and self-directed clients. So we've seen that transition happen. I mean, now that these days, really, the, the unless you... Buy, wanting to buy unlisted assets such as equity, you know, shares in a company or units in a trust or, or property, they're kind of the main reasons why people use SMSFs these days because there's not much of a, a, an advantage of, of doing it to buy managed funds or to, just to buy equities as you can access it usually through a, um, an APRA regulated fund unless you've got a really big balance where the fees make sense. But yeah, that's where we see the advantage in an SMSF.
0: Got it, and and we'd um, looked into I guess when you look at into SMSF, the the big things are quite obvious when it comes to you can buy property or you can have more control or you can have investments into stocks. However, there's also some. I guess, more little known or very interesting rules. And look, you could look at these from a for investors or against investors. But in the SMSF, what are some of those little known rules or interesting rules that you can take advantage of that typical investors just might not be aware of? In
1: terms of property, I think there's one of the key ones that a lot of people don't know when they're starting on this venture is redraw redraw facilities so with a normal investment property you can if there's equity in that property you can go to a bank and other if there's no is if there's no debt on the property you can ask to take out a loan against that property and use that money to expand your portfolio put that money down for a deposit on another property for example with a self managed super fund you can't redraw against the property so what that means is let's say you had an SMSF and you paid $500,000 for a property, and a couple of years later, you really like the look of another property that you wanted to buy with your super fund, you couldn't go and draw out, say, $200,000 of that equity against the first property to use as a deposit on the second property. So what that means is that you need to be a bit more crafty at the start when you buy the first property and offset accounts are a very good way to to engineer it so that you can still have access to your equity to buy if you were looking to build a property portfolio in super. The reason is, is just for a simple example, if you bought a property, say today for uh, $500,000, and you had the choice of either paying the full amount, 500 grand out of cash out of your self-managed super fund, or you could take out a loan of say 70%, so a $350,000 loan, the reason, uh, with, and that loan came with an offset account, the reason I'd choose option B, as in gear it to 350000 and take out a loan with an offset account, is that when you buy this property, you'd pull $150,000 out of SMSS bank account to pay the, you know, the, the um, 30% deposit on the property. And then the remaining 70%, the $350,000, you sit in an offset account against the $350,000 loan. So effectively, you're still paying 0% interest because you've got, a fully, you've got an offset account that's fully offsetting the interest on the loan. But then secondly, though, the advantage of this compared to the option A is that you have access to that $350,000 down the track if you wish to buy another property. So that's pretty powerful. So you end up effectively in the same position as someone that didn't take a loan anyway because you don't have any interest expense because it's fully offset, but you get that out of advantage of having access to the equity. So that's a pretty that's a pretty powerful you know, weapon having your arsenal there. So some other rules that people, you know, a lot of people, people are. I mean, to give credit to people, they they're becoming a lot more savvy about the rules. But related party rules is probably the the, the key area that people get stuck on. There's an overarching rule in self managed super funds called the self purpose test, and what that means is that you cannot use or what it effectively means you can't use the assets of your super fund for any personal use. You can only the assets of the super fund can only be there to. Provide for your, your future retirement income stream. But in what does that mean practically? Well, you can't buy a property from yourself if it's residential property. So if you had an investment property that you really just wanted to you know, release some equity from and, and have your super fund buy it, you couldn't do that. Um, mm. You couldn't, you also couldn't have a related party living in your self managed super fund, uh, living in the property owned by your self managed super fund. That's, a, a, not a common mistake, but you do have a lot of inquiries that come through and say, you know, if I buy this property, can my daughter live in it, for example? And the mm-hmm. answer is answer's no.
0: Have you had any like left field scenarios in that thing? Because I always like, you know, I'm not sure if you recall the um, the GSC big shorts and all those type of videos and how people were putting loans and things in their dogs and cats' names and all that craziness, right? But, I mean, has anyone ever come up with a crazy scenario like, oh, but what if it's my uncle's friend's brother slash, you know, doing just something like that?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is absolutely. People always try, you know, there's always a, a grey area somewhere in the rules. But the, the issue with related parties is it's a very, very broad definition of what a related party is. So, for example, if even though it might be your best mate, for example. A best mate isn't a, isn't a related party, but if you two are the, a director of the same company, for example, then that person would become a related party. So it's very, it's a very wide-reaching definition mm. of, of related party. And at the end of the day, it, it, it comes down to the trustee, the SMSF, to make that decision as to whether or not they think that person will be related. But, I mean, you don't really see I mean, people, that, people either go into it knowingly, that they are not going knowingly that they're not going to be anywhere near a related party. They're just going to rent it on domain, for example, and take whoever comes mm-hmm. in. And then people that people that are thinking like that often know already what the rules are. Um, <laughs> so they are not really asking me to to justify it. They're kind of asking me, you know, what who's going to find out? He's kind of answer to
0: that. So <laughs> At least they're not saying my dog is, uh, is the is the party here, and you know they let me in the house from time to time, and they they, they let me come through. <laughs>
1: so the other one is that on that front is that people the ATO give a good example that you know a holiday house for example is one that people say well I rent it out ninety percent of the time can I just use it you know for the two weeks over the, the Christmas break and the answer to that would be no. But there is an exemption to the related party rules, and I think yeah, we'll cover that later in, in this podcast, but it's around commercial property, business rule property. Mm. There, is some, there is some rules around that as well.
0: I mean, on that note, when you think of managing SMSFs, this leads on to the next question, which is around some of the common mistakes. Now, that's kind of where one mistake can come up for sure. Are there any other common mistakes that you see that investors make when they're either setting up or even just managing assets in there? Yeah, there's,
1: you see them all the time. Most of them are solvable. A lot of administrative errors just to cover off the boring stuff, not having proper documentation in place to, you know, the plumber comes around, for example, and, and you, you pay them $500 to fix the, the downpipe but, and not keeping the invoice or the invoice isn't made out to the correct entity. It's made out to you personally rather than to Superfund. As simple as that sounds, each year you have to remember that, Not only does the administration and accounting firm produce the financials, tax return and financials for the trustees of the fund, but where it gets difficult with a self-managed super fund is that everything that goes through the bank account of the SMSF or doesn't go through the bank account that has to do with the SMSF needs to get audited by an independent auditor. So that independent auditor, if they see a $500 transaction come out of the the super fund and says plumber, they're going to need the the, the documents to match the the transaction so the invoice from the plumber to the smsf the reason is is that you when you as you know when you log into a bank account and you you transfer 500 bucks to your friend you can write whatever narration you want you know i could transfer you transfer you 500 and i can just write plumber on it it's clearly not for the plumber so the auditor needs to have some sort of backing evidence to prove that that transaction is actually for the plumber without there's you know, ato administrative penalties that can be applied probably not for that sort of you know, that sort of materiality on it, on a, on an invoice, but um, you get the idea that documentation is really important to keep properly in an SMSF, and you see a lot of, and that's probably the most common mistake you see is around documentation because it is a lot more onerous than just a typical investment property where you don't need to have a set of financials most of the time, and you don't, you obviously need to do a tax return, but you don't need to have a set of financials, and they don't need to be audited in for most people. So. That's what a lot of people that haven't done it before will find is one of the, probably an annoying thing and, and a mistake that they make is that they just don't have the documentation in place. And, and an admin firm like us will remind you of what you need and, and and bits and pieces along the way to make it easier for you. But at the end of the day, you still need to keep that in the back of your mind. But things like setting up a fund, we get a lot of takeover funds, which is a fund that's already in existence that come onto our platform um, a lot of the time from online providers because you, you know where you don't have anyone to help you at all. Uh, with property, there's quite a, to someone that's not in the game or not in the, you know, in the, in the business, like we're in the business of, you, it is quite a complicated setup, the structuring, quite with the, there's two companies that are required. There's a bear trust, there's an SMSF trust. The name that you put to buy the property is different to the name that you take the loan in. So it's, it can be a, um, a complicated process to set up the fund. And so we get a lot of clients that have come to us that have gone online and set up a fund and then, all of a sudden, they've realized that they've, they've already signed a contract to sell off of the property, but there's so many things that haven't been done yet. You know, the bear trust hasn't been set up at all or if incorrectly. And a lot of these, that one, for example, can be very costly to unwind that. Um, double stamp duty could be possibly payable to try and unwind that transaction. So, and or for example, the ABN hasn't been approved properly or they can't do the rollovers because the ABN hasn't been registered properly with their bank account. So, there's a lot of technical, technical aspects of, around setting up an SMSF to buy a property that. People that try and do it directly will often stuff up, to be honest. And so we end up with a lot of clients that come to us from other providers where just to give them assistance on that front. Some other areas where there's a lot of when you buy, you really need to work out what the strategy is that you want to do and have your investment strategy in place before you go ahead and set up the fund you do see people that come along that will set up the fund and they won't actually do anything with it for 12 to 24 months which is fine I mean it's that's what your strategy is like you might just be waiting for a reversal in the housing market or whatever it might be but it's often worth it's very much worthwhile having the investment strategy in place so you can you're very much involved with it you know what's going on and you can execute it as soon as you're ready to do it. The disadvantage obviously, obviously not as bad as it was the last few years, but sitting in cash, the interest rates are pretty low and the equities market's flying probably in your normal your normal super fund that you're in. There really wasn't much point in setting up that fund at that point. You you should have probably just left it where it was for a year or two while you waited. It takes about a few weeks, about a month or so to set up a fund. So it's not as if you have to have it ready two years in advance. But for property in particular, there's a lot of rules around the difference between your maintenance of a property and improving a property around what sort of you can use, what areas are the maintenance or borrow or improvements can you use borrowing for and if it's already subject to a loan, if you improve the property so much that it becomes a different asset, you've also got an issue. Um, right. So borrowing in soup is a whole other area which you know I can dive into, but it's a complicated area around repairs and improvements and where's the line in the sand between that. And the ATO gives a lot of good guidance on that. But it's you know it's a simple example. I'll give you a simple example. If you were to buy a house in your super fund with a loan yep. and you wanted to subdivide it, that is a, a, an improvement to that asset, which would be significant enough to create a, a different asset to the one that the loan was initially taken out for. So you'd have a breach of the lending rules there. If you, for example, house and land packages don't typically work in an SMSF as well, two reasons. If you borrow to buy the land... Which most people often do in a house and land package, and then you use cash, for example, to go and build the house on that land subject to the loan. You've breached the lending rules in super because you've now got you don't have a vacant block of land with a loan against it. You've got a house and a land. Uh, you've got a house on that vacant block of land. So it's a significant change in the asset. Things like just building a veranda or putting a swimming pool in, or uh, putting another bedroom, or renovating the kitchen, or painting it whatever that those sort of things are fine but you can't use a loan to do those sort of things you need to do it out of cash out of the smsf so there's a, there's a lot of rules there and mistakes you see people make but as as, as you know as part of our service obviously we, we would you know the clients would typically call us up first and run the scenario past us and, and would you know check with our technical guys as well and and come back to the investor and let them know you know whether or not they can or, or things to watch out for before they do it but a lot of mistakes there's a lot of things that you can you can get tripped up on if you don't know what you're doing
0: Yeah, it actually just gives insights to certain complexities that exist in managing and maintaining it, but also gives you an idea that when you know these rules that you've spoken about, you can actually use this information to take a step back and start to think of what that strategy looks like because you may now rethink buying the most unrenovated property in a fund as an example right that needs a lot of love and suddenly it's hard to draw that line between the two of improvements and and um, maintenance so very good points there now when you think about the opposite side which is now those portfolios and managed funds that do the best in the space of performance what are some of the things that you see in those smsfs that do really well that you have realized hey um these clients have definitely uh started doing this and it's quite a common trait across the most successful clients?
1: I would think that the most common trait across the successful clients, ones that have their strategy in place and know what they're doing in the fund all the time. So what I mean by that is that you get a lot of clients that come along and they might just, they see a property they like they buy it and then they've got no involvement in watching the property or, or anything to do with it and it kind of just falls by the wayside. They get too busy to actually focus on it and maybe there would have been a better opportunity to sell if they were there with their finger on the pulse. The ones that seem to do the best are the ones that are all over it. You know, They might have shares, property, managed funds and things like that and they're watching it really closely and they've got an idea on what's going on and they know that they're pretty all over the rules and, and they've just got their strategy in place. They've either hired someone who are really good to help them with it, you know, an advisor, for example, or property experts or whoever it might be. But they're the ones that, you yeah, they they're, they're up to date with their documentation. They know what's they know what's coming up. They know their tax, you know, they've got a rough idea on their tax liabilities and how that works. But they just seem to, those guys, I don't know what it is, but they just seem to be able to pick their assets better and um, they, they seem to be performing better than the ones that just try and sit there idly and with, without paying any attention to what's going on. Mm. Um, I think that would be the common trait.
0: Very proactive versus reactive to things coming up, right? At least uh, yeah. it's sounding like it's all strategy, it's planning, it's attentiveness, it's being proactive versus someone just hanging on the sidelines for another A2 or after pay to come up and quickly jump yeah. into it or something. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> definitely. Right. Now, yeah. when you look at business investing, you talked about there being an opportunity where certain commercial aspects of SMSFs work really well and do get past or get through effectively on that related parties. And so this is where even from our side, when it comes to commercial property investing, We actually often see the best deals sitting between that one and up to sort of 5 million space. And the reason why it's the best deals, in my opinion, is competition starts to shrink in these bigger assets. You have the the net yields, the lease lengths, the tenant types start to be a little bit nicer and better. Uh, But the cash for many people isn't a very common thing to be walking around with 20, 30, 40% deposits on large commercials like that. But this is where SMSF starts to come up as an opportunity. I've even started hearing about things where family members are coming together to create one big fund. Is this common at all? And what sort of pros and cons do you see to this? I would
1: say, you know, we've probably managed 1,500 SMSFs over the last 15 years, but I would say it's not uncommon, but it's not common. It's, um, mm. There's a lot of administrative issues, well, not administrative, but also financial issues when you involve your children in your SMSF. Probably the two biggest ones off the top of my head is that one, the kids often, you know, if you're a 50, 55-year-old and your kids might be, say, 20, 25, they often don't have much money in their super funds. You know, you might have a couple of hundred grand, but they might have like 10 to 20. And it's, you kind of, there's not a lot of point. Like it doesn't really add a lot of value there having them on from a capital point of view. But the the second point is, is that you're at such different stages of your life you know someone that's at 20 25 is probably going to be a lot more aggressive than someone that's approaching retirement so how do you balance that with your family members you Now, for example my parents they wouldn't want to do you know half the sort of gearing strategies that i'd do with my fund but so i could i could never be in that same because when when you've got an smsf you don't i mean typically you do not have a segregated portfolio between all of you and especially if you're putting all your eggs into one basket it's definitely not going to be segregated. So you, you're mixing your risk assets with your parents' less risky assets that they might be after. So, and the other point about that is that when your in ten years' time, using this example, and your parents need to start drawing down a pension from that fund, how and you don't, and as a 25 year old, 30 year old at that point, you don't want to. When the parents need to draw it down, there's legislative requirements that they actually draw down a certain percentage of the fund each year when you pension phase, but the kids, the only way to often access that liquidity, unless there's enough cash in the fund, is to sell the asset, which kind of defeats the whole purpose of why he did it to start with. So if you had hundred or well, ninety-nine percent of your in your your cash in one commercial property and the parents needed to pull, and let's say it was worth a million bucks, and the parents need to pull out, say, fifty thousand dollars per year in, in minimum pension withdrawals around, say, you know, four percent, then You've got a you've got an issue because you don't have the cash to be able to draw that down. So the only way to, to get that liquid asset you can't transfer out a, a portion of that unlisted asset. So you've got an issue where you, you might have to sell the property at that point. So there's a lot of different differing in ages of that proportion. So thirty years, you know, it, it can have its its disadvantages, uh, that, that I've spoken about. I mean the advantage, probably the, one of the key advantages is it would help you get a loan. For the SMSF, if you're looking at a loan, because your serviceability mm. would be much better if you had four people, you know, applying for the f- applying for the loan at the same time in the same, and everybody's putting in their employer contributions, and you, your income serviceability is going to be much better. But so I guess they're the, they're the pros and the cons at a high level of things to watch out for.
0: Yeah. Now, business owners, we talked about their component as well, if they're taking advantage of SMSFs, for example, their premises, could you walk us through how that works and why it would be an advantage for many business owners, I guess, to consider an SMSF?
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned before, you can't buy a property from a related party. One of the key exemptions to that is if the property is what's called business real property. So let's say you owned, oh, let's say you, um, let's say you owned a fish and chip shop personally, for example, and you are, you're a fish and chip shop business. The, if your your super fund could, let's say that the building was a million dollars, your super fund could buy that building from you personally. And so what that means is that you've effectively released you know, a million dollars out of your super fund into your own name, so that and so then you can you know, do what you like with that. It's just a transaction, and then the super fund then owns the asset from then on in. Now that your fish and chip shop business can also rent the premises from your own SMSF. Now that has to be done on an arm's length basis with an independent valuation on the lease. But the a lot of that's where you see a lot of people using commercial property is when they've got a business such as a, a trucking business, for example, and they want to, they want their super fund to, to own the, the depot that their trucks you know, park in at night or whatever it might be. And then the, the trucking business pays rent to the SMSF and commercial lease rates. So, that's, that was probably one of the main areas. Commercial property was probably the, the first big driver of property in super, actually. And as a, as a percentage, it's still a bigger percentage than uh, residential property is on the as an asset ownership within that within the super fund. It's quite a attractive vehicle for people that you know want an equity release in their own name, but also to get some um, you know, you know, big assets into their into their super fund as well. Um, it's a great way to do it.
0: So, just confirming. So, not only can the business owner rent a property, pay rent to a property that's owned by their business or owned by the SMSF, right? And so the the company is paying rent to the SMSF property. But then another scenario is that the SMSF can buy a property from the personal director to operate in that fashion. Is that what you said there? Just want to clarify?
1: That's correct. Yes. Awesome. So So when the property is classified as what's known as business real property, like a commercial office, for example, would be business real property then the SMSF trustee, so the trustees of the SMSF can buy that property from you personally.
0: Mm. At, a,
1: at a degree, at, at, it has to be at, at market valuation, independent market valuation,
0: yeah. Now, when it comes to SMSF, there was one aspect there their business, but the other aspect as well that I don't feel many people know about, but I know uh, you guys help with, is insurances. Because when people think of insurances like life and all these other aspects... I guess so many people don't even consider it firstly, even though there's so much debt in the picture. And partially, I think that could be to do with the cost that it carries but or the process or the belief of the process. But I guess how can SMSFs play an advantage to helping people with this component of the costs and insurance premiums and other things like that? I think a lot of people
1: do know about it. It is just it's just an often a, a difficult and time-consuming thing to organise for your self-managed super fund. If you think about where your insurance is at the moment, you know, let's say you're at Australian Super, for example, often that insurance comes by default as soon as you become a member. So most people who just sign up to Australian Super end up with an insurance policy and didn't have to do anything to get it because it's under what's called a group policy. So the insurance underwriters will just take the whole group of, you know, ten thousand Australian Super members, and give them all one policy, and, and you get some, you, know, you get allocated, you know, a an amount out of that group policy that you're covered for. So. With an SMSF, though, typically, and most of the time, it's done as an, at an individual level. So you get individual underwriting done, you know, medical checks you know, all that sort of stuff. It takes a bit of time and effort to go out and do it. So you find that a lot of people will just do what's called a, a partial rollover and leave a certain amount of money at their current fund, let's call it Australian super for easiness. And... Um, then that Australian super would keep providing their insurance on that side of the fence, but eventually they'll get around to doing it in the SMSF you know, once the dust settles and they've bought the property and they'll come back and get some quotes. But it is often more expensive because it's a personalised property rather than in a group group scenario. And I think it just gets put to the back burner where people should really be focusing on it a lot more, especially if you've got gearing, as you mentioned. You know, it's something you should always be covered. Well, typically you should always try and be covered for um, you know, at least the amount of debt you've got. So it's a um, it's an interesting space. There is a requirement for SMSF trustees to consider the insurance, but there isn't one for them to have. There's not a requirement for them to have insurance. So I think that's predominantly the reasons why people don't focus too heavily on on organizing insurance in SMSFs.
0: Yeah, look, I think knowing that you can even have it come out of it is actually a big advantage on its own because insurances can be from a a few thousand dollars to many, many thousand dollars depending on your scenario. So that helps in a cash flow sense, but also helps protect the family because when we run property plans, we notice the biggest thing is not actually buying the place. It's actually buying it, holding it for 15 to 20 odd years, and then making sure you can get to little to no debt as possible, whether it be through consolidation by paying it down or whether it be selling an asset. Now to know that that goal you've got ahead of you is still somewhat 20 years away just shows that there's a lot of shit that can go wrong in 20 years, right? That you want to make sure that your family, who you're probably doing this for, uh, is, is well protected. So it's such a good part to actually mention on just because I think many people, whilst they know about it, don't get around to it. So lastly, my friend, let's talk about, I guess, the complexity of setting up an SMSF. There's been many parts here where... There's some interesting rules, grey areas, um, certain scenarios where it works, certain scenarios it doesn't. But it reminds me of, I guess, an Albert Einstein quote where he said, "Genius is making complex ideas simple, not making simple ideas." So the world of SMSF is often actually a very complex one, and for investors. But let's hear you make it simple to set up. I'd like to walk through a scenario where someone's listening to this and going, "Hey, it's about time that I set something up. Maybe I've got 200k balance, 180, 250, whatever it may be." And I want to take the time to catch up with yourself and the team to set up something. Could you walk us through the process?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, if someone wanted to you know, self-directed client. They knew their investment strategy. They didn't want a financial planner to um, you know, go through their situation and, and, and give their advice on, on what it is. So, when we're talking about a self-directed client, what the process is is that we would we would have a, a conversation with them a Zoom or phone call and explain to them what an SMSF is, give them a lot of literature to have a read of before going ahead, you know, things like trustee responsibilities is a, is, a, is a good one, the sole purpose test, which I discuss, and just to make sure that you know, to give the client the information they need so that they can go and make an informed decision before proceeding. And that phone call usually is about half an hour. You know, let, you know, there's a lot of questions that they might ask, you know, renovating, you know, how do I You want to put a veranda on how do I pay for it, can I use a loan, you know, all those sort of questions that you might have or might be thinking about. And then at that point, if they haven't spoken with a mortgage broker yet, we'd often recommend that they go and speak to a mortgage broker. The reason is is that, as I mentioned at the start, you need to get your head around the investment strategy and what you're going to be doing. And if you're thinking about using a loan and you have no idea what sort of loans are out there, you can't really back solve, we can't create an investment strategy at that point. So having a chat with a mortgage broker that specialises in SMSF lending, uh, because SMSF loans are different to a normal investor loan, will allow you to back-solve your investment strategy. So if you, know, if you walked in and, and thought you know with $100,000 in your super fund, you might be able to buy a million-dollar property and you went and set up the fund only to realise when you went to get a loan that you know the maximum LVR you can get is around 70%, then you're going to have spent all this money setting up the SMSF for no reason. So the first port of call is usually have a conversation with us, then a conversation with the broker, then have a think about it, work out your strategy, see if there's anyone else you think you might want to have a chat to. And then... When you're ready to go, there's a simple application form where you fill in what you want to call the SMSF and we create all the structures that are required for you. We set set up the bank account for you. We we do the rollovers from your existing super fund for you. And so at that point, you're ready to speak with your buyer's agent or or whoever it is that's looking after it or yourself if you're doing it completely directly. At that point, you'd be ready for us to give you a name to put on that contract to sale um, so we'd tell you, you know, use Smith Bear Trust name on the contract of sale if you're using a loan. And then you can go to the auction or you can put in your offer to the to the vendor. Settlement works pretty much exactly the same way as it does with an investment property. You know, the bank your solicitor will deal with the vendor's solicitor and and also the bank gets involved at that point as well and any other any other parties such as a buyer's agent would get involved at that point as well and and settlement happens just the same way through pexa or, or, or similar sort of institutions like that so and then what then we see through all of our data feeds into into the accounts of the super fund into our accounting software is that um we then send you you know the, the requests for information so the settlement statement the signed contract to sale and things like that so putting aside the sale process of the property to get the fund ready and up to up ready to go is about four to six weeks technically the fund would come into existence on the day that the smsf deed is signed and dated which could be this afternoon if you really wanted it to but we always tell clients to hold off going and executing a, a contract to sell at that point primarily because we need to apply for your abn and tfn as well on your behalf on for the super fund and that can take up to 28 days for the ATO to approve. And every now and then the ATO will actually hold up the ABN and not release it onto what's called the super fund lookup. And it isn't, the reason why you can't, if it's not on the super fund lookup is you can't set up a bank account and you can't do rollovers. So if you've already you know gone unconditional on a contract to sale and you realize I can't even set up the bank account, I can't do a rollover from a super fund, there's a good chance that you might, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll forfeit the contract and any deposit you might've paid on that property. So it's a real risk. So, you're usually better off waiting that four to six weeks until the funds have arrived into the super fund. It's a little bit quicker these days with electronic rollovers, but if you jump the gun, um, you could find that something could go wrong. So it's a well-trodden process. You know, we we obviously hold your hand the way through it to make sure that you know you know where you're up to and and what needs to happen next. But um, it is it is a bit of paperwork to shuffle around at the start to make sure that you've got everything set up correctly and and that you're ready to go.
0: John, the SMSF king at his work. Uh, Thank you so much for all your time today. How can anyone get in touch with you and the team just to be able to help them, whether it be set up, taking over, so forth?
1: Yeah, just if you jump on our website, uh, www.c2super.com.au, you'll be able to find us there. And also, uh, actually probably a better one to use is c2financialgroup.com.au or you just Google C2 Super and and we'll come up. But um, that's number C, number two, super or um c2 financial group and um otherwise i'm sure
0: um yeah, i could put my details down somewhere for someone to get a hold of as well at the end of this podcast Awesome, mate. Well, a lot of great insights in the show from whether it be business owners, the to-dos, the successful clients, the the not to-dos, and of course the simplicity in terms of the setup once you think of those components, right? Which is the team like yourself coming in to ensure that the actual fund setup goes compliantly and goes through the works. But realizing one thing I picked out was Those who have successful SMSFs are those who are proactive, think strategy, think purchasing, not just using it so they can start playing around on the Comsec app and go crazy on a few different share trades. Um, The main thing here is that that's when all things align well. a Good team around you, a strategy in mind and the ability to think long term. So, mate, thank you so much for your time and I look forward to catching up again soon.
1: Thanks very much.
0: Bye.